Honestly, I need to tell you, I was telling this to Kathy, <clears throat> I am a little overwhelmed with trying to teach eight chapters. In fact, I was going to call Joe and see if Joe would teach it. <clears throat> and then I called Kathy today, hoping she would inspire me. And we spent like an hour on the phone just going over all our favorite verses. And um, this is way above my pay grade um, <laughs> to do this. I'm out of my comfort zone for sure, because this book is just... It's, it's amazing, and I'm a, a Bible lover, and I'm a Bible teacher, but I am not a Bible scholar, and I'm not a theologian, so I'm hoping I get this right. This book is so deep, it's so rich, it's so beautifully written. It's very complex, and it's very important. It is full of comfort and correction and even condemnation and consolation, Comfort, contrast, courage, and above all and beyond all this, Isaiah gives us this amazing, beautiful, complete display of Jesus Christ from his birth to his first coming to his second coming. He details his miracles, his suffering his whipping, his crucifixion, all there, centuries before Jesus even was born. <clears throat> so I hope that you have done your homework and you have read through these verses. And I was just telling Kathy that actually we could just take these verses and I could just stand there and read them and probably would have even better effect of anything <clears throat> that I am going to say. Because How many of you have read through, read through your verses? Oh, good. Um, I could just stand here and read them aloud, and I think then we could just all go home. In fact, I could take a vote right now about that. <laughs> would that would that be okay? Because I feel so inadequate to do this. But a couple interesting things. Um, first of all, the book of Isaiah is called a Bible in miniature. I think this is interesting because <clears throat> Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters are calling for repentance. The second 27 chapters are talking about the restoration and God as a savior. And the Bible has 66 books and the Old Testament has 39 chapters talking about repentance and God as a judge. And the New Testament has 27 books talking about Jesus, the savior. So not that there were chapters when Isaiah, he didn't say this is chapter one, chapter two, but still I think those are kind of amazing facts for you and I to consider. Isaiah is probably by many scholars believed to be the greatest book in the Old Testament. It's the longest book in the Old Testament except for Psalms. It talks about empires rising and falling, kings failing. It talks about God's nation in peril. We see history, we see judgment, we see the future, and we see Jesus. So these are some things I like about it, and this is about the best I can do with these chapters. Um, first of all, I think this is amazing. It is historically accurate and correct. All that Isaiah says will happen did happen exactly how and when he said it would happen. It happened in Judah. It happened in Babylon. It happened in Assyria. It happened with the armies, with the kings. 
exactly as he said. So it is historically, according to historians, not just the Bible, completely accurate. It is also prophetically completely accurate. The accuracy is stunning. The defeat of Israel and Judah, even their sin, their idol worship, all prophesied, all came true. Their captivity, their destruction of their cities and their temple, even the return, the rebuilding of the temple, all exactly as Isaiah said it would be way before it ever happened. And then the best, as I said before, this accuracy of Jesus, 700 years before he was even born, Isaiah tells of his birth, his lineage, his miracles, his rejection, his beatings, even his prayers, his crucifixion, his burial, and his return. I've always believed that the Bible was God-breathed, God-inspired, God-ordained, but reading through the book of Isaiah has just increased my appreciation for that, how accurate it was. It is a supernatural book written using God, men by a supernatural God. Isaiah not only saw the future, the captives, their release, their deliverance, he saw you and I. So it's also personally accurate. It reaches out across the centuries ago that he wrote into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds. It promises the deliverance from our enemy, our release from captivity, our redemption through Christ. This book not only was read by future generations, by the Jews, by Daniel, by Esther, even by Paul, but it is now read by you and I today. Personally, its message reaches across the centuries into our lives, into our situation that we find ourselves in this week, this year, in this country, with all that is going on. It brings comfort and correction. It chastens us. It gives us courage, just like it did to the Jews. His message, his words are for you and I here today. The supernatural accuracy written by God himself, we can hold in our hands and pick up and read. So if you are new to this book, let me just recap a little bit. And I think that we already heard this from Kristen, but Isaiah 1 through 39, God wrote to his people calling for repentance, calling out sin, warning of the judgment to come. That was the first half of the book, 1 through 39. And because it was because God's chosen people had fallen so far away from him. They were doing, in God's eyes and in Isaiah's eyes, despicable things. They were worshiping the very idols of their enemies. They were sacrificing to their enemies' gods, not to their own Jehovah. And they were even asking the enemies' gods for protection rather than asking God for protection. Then in chapter 40, after Isaiah calling out, and if you were at the seminar, you heard all this uh, calling out for correction and warning of what would happen if they did not come back to him. Chapter 40 then takes a complete turn. And the rest of the book, the entire book is full of comfort and, com and consolation because the worst was going to happen 
and did happen. The enemy armies that Isaiah had prophesied that would come had come, just as he said they would. God's chosen people had been conquered, their cities burned, their temple destroyed, and the Jews taken into captivity, marched across the desert to Babylon, where they stayed, I think, for over 70 years. Now, as we begin these chapters, God is calling them back. He is calling them home. And of course, they are fearful and they are doubtful. But you know what else? They were also comfortable where they were. Because when they got to Babylon, they weren't imprisoned. They were pretty much free to do what they wanted. And they built houses and they made homes and they became very comfortable in the land of their enemy. So being called back to them was not, oh, finally, we're going to be released. It was taking them out of where they were comfortable. And that's why Isaiah is encouraging them. They're fearful. They're doubtful. And he writes the rest of the book to bring them home. I'm going to very briefly go through each chapter, just highlighting some things for you, and I hope that you will go and make your own highlights, and then I'm going to share with you how this, these chapters have really ministered to me. Uh, chapter 40, you saw at the women's conference, speaking comfort to the captives. Chapter 41, um, Isaiah addressed our fears and their fears. He talks about God's greatness. He introduces King Cyrus, who will come, um, of Persia, who will come. He knows King Cyrus's name. Like, I think it's like 100 years before he's even born. He knows his name. And and I, I sat on that for a long time, and I was overwhelmed with that, that fact. But then later in this chapter, it says he knows my name, too. And I thought, well, that's an even better thing for me to consider. How awesome is that? 41, he's going to use Cyrus to defeat their enemies, um, to bring them home, to give them the mission of rebuilding their city. And their um, their country, and, and I love this, especially in where we are right now in our country. I, I mean, think about this: God used a pagan king. King Cyrus was not a god worshiper; he was a pagan king. And God is taking this pagan king Cyrus, and He was turning him any way He wants to. He's making him do things and say things and promise things. He never would have done without this. And I think we look at this country and some of the mess that we're in and we think, oh, we could just elect this guy if we could elect that guy. But, you know, we just need to rest in the fact that it is God who puts up one man and puts down another. And it is God who is at this time, even though it may not seem like it, completely in control of what is happening. And he is working out his perfect perfect plan right as you and I sit here tonight if he can use a pagan king he can use anything and anyone to do what he wants working all things for his pleasure and according to his will in 42 we sing we see a, a picture of Jesus the messiah contrasted with the idols all through these chapters this is constant reminder this is what god is like this is what the redeemer is like and this is how stupid and foolish and ineffective the idols are 
always bringing that contrast to remind them. 43, we saw um, the, uh, more contrast between the idols. 44, um, uh, the depiction of God being greater than our enemies, um, t- telling, foretelling the destruction of Babylon. 45, the false gods are disgraced again, also in 46. 47, uh, the comfort, no matter where you are and no more, matter what you have done to me, it speaks, no matter where I am or what I have done or how I have failed. Um, no sin, no discretion, no failure can keep me from God. And then I just want to read to you briefly from 48, because this was too good not to just read aloud. From 48, starting in verse 17, <clears throat> thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, this is um, the last chapter in my group of chapters, the Holy One of Israel. This is what he says. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the tr- of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body, like the grass of the sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. So this is what he says. Now go forth from Babylon. Get out. Go home. Flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare this. Utter it to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed us. And that should be our song and our cry. Oh, I think the words of Isaiah are just so beautiful. But there are a lot of ways to study this book, and I know you're going to find your own, but I've probably shared with you before when I've been here that I am a list maker. I make a list every morning of what needs to be done. I even, I think I told you this before, put things on my list I have already done because it is just so rewarding to cross them off. So I have a list of what I have to do. I have a list of what I have to buy. I have a grocery store list. I have a backyard list. I am just a list maker. It makes my husband crazy. I used to make him a list. That didn't. That lasted a very short time in our marriage, and our marriage wouldn't have lasted if I continued to hand him a list every morning of what I thought he should be doing. So even on my list, I say, don't give Mike a list. He doesn't like it when I make him a list. But I am a list maker. So um, I'm going to share with you this list that I've made, and maybe it will encourage you to make your own list from these chapters, from these verses. Maybe you would want to do all the fear nots. That would be a great list. I, and I've already made these lists. I'm just not going to give them to you tonight. I, I'm holding back. I'm, I'm refusing to give in to my need to give you my list. I also made a list of all the I wills. Of God. All the times he said, I will. He says it over and over again, what he will do. That would be a great list for you. The fear nots, the I wills. And then I made a list of all the woes of disobedience. That was scary when I made this list. And then I made a list of all the portraits of God presented in these chapters creator, redeemer, the potter, the images that Isaiah gives us, the comforter, the shepherd, the holy one, the just one. The images of God that are written in this book, he's everlasting, he's holy, he's the redeemer, the forgiver, he's the first and the last, and the potter. I mean, all the images of God. Well, see, I wasn't going to share with you all those other lists, but now now I just did. So I'm going to real quickly put that away. And now this is the list I made, and I think I like this one the best. I took all the commands 
you know, when, when God says do something. And then I took all the promises that he states immediately that if we will do these things, then this is the promise. Cause I, you know, I have to have a to-do list. I need God to give me things to do. So the first one is in the 40th chapter and he tells Isaiah to speak comfort. That's the command. Speak comfort. And here's the promise of that command. Your warfare is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. And your sin is forgiven. What could be more comforting than that? Speak comfort, he commands us. In the ninth verse of chapter 40, he says, get up, lift up your voice. That's the command. But the promise is God's strong hand and arm will help you. God's tender shepherd heart will lead you, carry you, draw you close. In verse 31, we are told to wait on the Lord. And we did this at the women's seminar. Wait on the Lord. It also can be translated hope on the Lord. And the promise of that is he will renew our strength. We will mount on eagles' wings. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. What a promise is that? The command is the wait. The promises are stated. And then here are some of the fear nots. 41.10, fear not. That's a commandment. He doesn't say, why don't you try not to be so fearful? He doesn't, it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment. It's just fear not. And here's the promise. This is why we don't have to fear. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Again, in verses 13 and 14, fear not. And again, I will help you. I will hold your hand. 42.9, the command is to behold. And what are we to behold? Here's the promise of beholding. The former things have passed away and the new things I declare. I have kind of a funny story about this verse, and there's another verse in the New Testament, but um, I don't know if you know my story about my crazy husband, and we were married, and and, then, and he was just a mess, and I didn't know him. Actually, I just ran away and married him after three weeks, but but I didn't realize he had a terrible drug problem. He had all kinds of problems. Anyway, so so we got divorced, and then he got saved, and then... And then um, I saw this man whose brain had been destroyed by drugs, you know, get well. I saw him be healed, and and I was so drawn to that that I got saved. So that now, so we're both saved, and I'm very happy being saved, and we're divorced, and I'm very happy being divorced. But Mike keeps coming to me, and he keeps saying, I really feel like God wants us to get married again. And I, I kind of was like, been there, done that. Didn't like it the first time. I was such a new Christian. I didn't know very many scriptures. I didn't have, I just had this little nugget of faith that I was operating on. And, and I couldn't imagine that I could ever love him again, that we could ever make this thing work again. I mean, if you knew the details, you would be right. You would so agree with me. In fact, I thought that God agreed with me. So he kept writing me. He kept saying, He's calling me, coming over. He kept sending me the letters. He sent me this goony letter on the envelope was this old bride and groom from the 1950s. I thought, what has happened to, to, to this man? So I'm determined, though, because I know best. So I'm driving to class. <clears throat> um, I was going to back, going back to school. 
was driving to my class at Long Beach State. I was in my car all by myself, and I'm talking to the Lord just like I'm talking to you now, and I'm telling him, hey, come on, you know what it was like before. You know this guy. You know me. There's, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't have the faith to do this. And and I'm just don't make me do this is kind of where I was going with it. And I'm and I'm I feel like I'm having this conversation with God and that He's on the page that I'm on. Do you ever feel like that? And yet I also feel like my prayers are kind of just going up and heaven they're just bouncing back at me. They're just they're they're not getting up there and I'm getting really discouraged and I'm thinking, Well what am I what what am I gonna do? I need to have God on my side. I'm talking, I'm going on and on. I'm sure I was going on and on just like I'm going on now. And I was making him and I was making God crazy. Well, I don't think you can make God crazy. So so I, finally I'm quiet. Now this is gonna be this is gonna sound weird. But out of my car radio speaker comes this voice that sounded like my dad. I mean it was a voice. I'm sorry, it was really a voice. And you know what it says? It said, I make all things new from Isaiah. Behold <laughs> All the old things have passed away, and all things are made new. And I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, wow, what, what station do I have on? So, so I get off the freeway, and I pull over, and I turn off my car. There is no radio on or anything. And I just sat there quietly, and the voice came again. Whether it was in my head, I don't know, but it, to me it was audible. He said, behold, I make all things new. And that was all I needed. I needed that word, this word from Isaiah. I needed to know that God would make all things new. And I needed to him, for him to speak that to me because I didn't even know those scriptures. And amazingly, he did just that. He made all things new for Mike and I. Behold, 42.10, the command to sing to the Lord to praise him. And the promise is the promise of victory over our enemies. You know, the, the old armies, they used to send out the worship team into battle. <laughs> I wonder how the worship teams would like that. Okay, we've got a war and we're just going to send you out first. because there w- And then there would be victory because there is victory when we sing praise to God. And it is a command to praise him. And the promise is a victory over enemies. Um 43, I think it's verses 1 to 3. Another fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You know, I told you before that he knew Cyrus's name, but he knows my name. Can you imagine um, Daniel and Esther reading this and taking their hope and their confidence in it? The command in 45, I think, can't even read my own. I think it's verse 22. Look to me. Look to me, and the promise is, you will be saved. How simple is that explanation of salvation? Look to me and be saved. 46.3, um, listen to me is the command. Okay, I'm claiming this one too, because this is what it says. Even in your old age, and even to your gray hair, here I am, well, my hair is gray, I just color it, but... Listen to me. I still want to be one who listens to him because he's promising me, even in my old age. And this is the promise. I am he. I will carry you. I have made you. And I will deliver you. 
Oh, how I need to hear that in my old age. 46. Kathy, I know you got your Bible open and I can't even. Is it 18? 46, 18. The command is to remember and recall. And the promise is because I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 46, verse 12. Again, listen to me. And this is the promise. I bring my salvation and my righteousness near. Again, 48.12, listen to me again. How many times in Isaiah, it would be fun to look this up, does he say, listen to me or hear me, God speaking, um, or remember me or look at me. Those commands, get our eyes off of our situation, off of ourselves and onto him. Listen to him. And the promise is, I am the first and the last. 48.16, the command is, come near. I love that command. And I am the Lord, your God. And 48.20, I love this. Go forth. Go forth, he tells God's people. Go forth from captivity. Get out, sing, and declare. Those verses said, I just read that to you. And this promise is that the Lord has redeemed you. The best promise of all. Listen, if God... Can talk to that like that to his people, to Judah, to Israel, to the northern kingdom, to the southern kingdom, through his prophet, calling them to repent, calling them to correct their wrong ways. Then that is what he speaks to us too. God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. He spent, paid too great a cost to leave us in our sin. He corrected Judah. He corrected Israel by sending the Babylonians and the Chaldeans to defeat them, to conquer them, to destroy their cities, and to take them into captivity. And I was just as lost in my sin as Judah and Israel were. I was defeated by my enemies, destroyed by my foolishness. I was guilty. I was hopeless. I was helpless. And I deserved the same as Judah or as Israel, but God did not send a mighty army after me. He sent his own son instead. He sent my Savior, the Messiah. I didn't pay for my sin like the Jews did. Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus released me from my bondage and brought me home to himself. Amazing that the Bible says of Jesus in the cross that for the joy set before him, He endured the cross. And then there's another scripture that says, on that day he will present you to the Father with joy. Because I used to look at that for the joy set before him. What would that have been? And then I realized when I read that he was going to present me with joy to the Father, that I was his joy. I was that joy that was set before him, that took him to the cross. And he blotted out 
my transgressions and my sin, and he remembers them no more. And he says today, look to me and be saved. Listen, this gospel presented in Isaiah, presented in the New Testament, it has a supernatural power. I see so many people concerned about their churches being shut down or closed down or that we can't meet or we can't gather, all the restrictions that are against us. And And I don't like those, so I'm not saying that I'm in agreement with them. But you know what? The gospel has supernatural power of its own, and it cannot be controlled, it cannot be contained, it cannot be canceled, it cannot be shut down, shut in, or shut out. It has a power of its own. We just need to release it and let it go. In my life, at this moment, at my age, in the midst of heartache and heartbreak and tragedy, God's words to me in Isaiah have brought both conviction and confession and also comfort and courage. And they have called me, these words from Isaiah, just as they called the Jews. They've called me home. They've called me to him so that I might be closer than ever before, so that I might come into his presence as never before. Because only there can he help me, can he heal me, and does he hold me. So I hope these chapters will do the same to you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're fearful of, whatever you're dreading, wherever you are tonight, today, at this moment, that you will allow God to use these chapters in this book, these eight chapters and the chapters to come to remind you and to show you who he is, to cause you to look up and to listen to him, to cause you to trust him, to cause you to give up and put away all the foolishness, all the idols you might have in your own life because we all do. That's why this book is written, not only for them, but for you and I. What takes precedence over your relationship with him? What takes more time that you'd spend most of your time with that you don't spend with him? This book is calling us home. It's calling us not only home to heaven, it's calling us home into his presence like never before, because there we are safe. There we are healed. There we are helped. There we have hope. He is a refuge. He is our strong tower. He is everything that you and I need. Let these chapters in this book do that for you as it is doing it for me. Let's pray. Father, the, both the sweetness and the severity of your word all there in these chapters. The unbelievable result when we continue in sin, when we don't look to you, when we don't listen to you, the consequences 
And yet, you call us home. You call us to a place where no sin is remembered. You call us and forgive us. And you place that sin far, far, far away, farther than the east is from the west, Lord. You do that. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you allowed your son to do for us. May these chapters remind us of that, Lord. May these chapters cause cause all of us, Lord, to bring ourselves into a place of complete submission to you. May they call us to give up anything that is in the way. May they cause us to lay all our worries down, all our burdens down, and come to you. Our world right now, this country, is not a safe place, but you are the safe place. Bring us into your presence, Lord. Let us see as we read these chapters, as we study these words, as we see the beauty of them, may we be drawn ever, ever, ever closer to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.